The Lord calls us to worship from the book of Psalms, chapter 99, and Exodus, chapter 15. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in strength to your holy habitation. Amen. to be in your house, to be able to worship you and to join our voices with those of our brothers and sisters around the world to praise you today, to say that you are the Lord, you are God, the one who created us and all things, you are the king of this universe, and everything moves because you have given it life and breath. Lord, we have gathered together as your people today to worship you, to sing praises, and to lift up our hearts to you. And we pray, Lord, by your Spirit, that you would be with us today, that you would fill each heart, that we would have a sense of your joy and delight in our praises, that they would be pleasing to you. And Lord, we pray that as we come to your word later, that you would speak to it, speak to us by it mightily, that we would hear the truth of the gospel today and believe it. And Lord, we join our voices together now as we pray together the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He ascended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Joel, chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in kindness, and He relents from doing harm. Who knows if He will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him. Amen. This morning as we worship, I do want to just point out to you, there was an insert in the foyer when you came in for one of our songs Later in our service, if you didn't get one, uh, they should be back there for you to get. But now let's turn in our hymnals to number 600 and sing together, He Leadeth Me, O Blessed Thought.
may be seated. And the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you. This morning we're going to talk about one of the last phrases in the Apostles' Creed. We're going to talk about the phrase that says, We believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I want to ask you, when we talk about saying that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, uh, what, what is one of the first things that comes to mind about our sins? Who forgives them? God does. And how do we know that He does? Because the Bible says so. It's a good, it's a good answer. It, because the Bible does say so. And, and why does the Bible say that? What is the, what is the cost of God's forgiveness of, of our sins? Um, going Who, to hell? Going to hell if we don't believe in Him. That is exactly right. But, but what if we do believe in Him? We go to heaven. We go to heaven. And who, who bought the ticket for you to go? Jesus did. God sent Jesus to pay the price for your sins, to cleanse you, so that you can have stamped on your life forgiven, a beloved son or daughter of God. Caleb? If he didn't die for us, well, we'd have to pay for our sins. We would pay for them on our own. That's why the Bible says, if in this life only do we have hope, we would be of all men most miserable. But the Bible says that Jesus did come, and He did die for our sins. And even though it is costly, He did it for us because He loves us. So one of the things that Jesus taught in in the Sermon on the Mount was that the way that we know that God's forgiveness has reached our heart is by forgiving other people. Other people sometimes do things that are sins against us. They hurt us, even if they didn't mean to. It still does. And Jesus said that people would know that we love Him because we are willingly able to share His love with others. So one of the ways that you know your heart has received and is thankful for God's forgiveness for you is that you do forgive other people. And sometimes it's hard and not easy. But Jesus gives you strength to do that too. And it's just another reminder. And He's saying to you, You belong to me. I love you. And I care for you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for these covenant children that you have blessed our church family with. And I thank you for the parents that diligently bring them to church each Sunday. And I pray, Lord, for conversations in the living rooms and kitchen tables about your goodness to us and your faithfulness. That even when when we are not faithful to you, you are still yet faithful to us. Lord, I thank you for the truth of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ alone. I thank you that that is something that these children were able to to verbally say this morning, that they know it's true. And Lord, I pray that you would cement that in their hearts through all the days of their lives, that they would know that you are the God who forgives and who takes care of his children. And Lord, I do pray that you would help them in times when, when things happen to them or they do things to others, that they would be quick to forgive because they know of the forgiveness that you have given to them. Lord, I thank you for the blessing that they are to our church family. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to be a blessing to them, teaching them all the, all the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to uh, read Psalm 95. It's on page 819 in the green hymnal. Psalm 95 on page 819. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. At this time, let's stand together and sing with the insert from your bulletin, the the song, My Shepherd, You Supply My Need.
may be seated. This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I wanted to pray specifically uh, for the folks in Florida and on the coast in Georgia and South Carolina. Uh, There are several PCA churches and other churches that were impacted, uh, some that they're not even able to get to yet to assess the damage in some people's homes that were there one day and the next, it's gone. And um, what a what a difficulty and a, and a tragedy they are walking through right now. I read uh, this week on a PCA Pastors and Elders group about a family. Uh, they had just, the pastor had just purchased a home and his son is going to the Florida School for the Deaf and Blind and their home uh, is gone. And uh, so it, it makes it certainly personal to think about and know about others who who we know and are in contact with. Um, got a text this week that uh, Robbie and uh, Murray are okay, and our two of our missionaries who are in Florida, and uh, thankful that the Lord has seen fit to care for them, and, and thankful too to drive over here yesterday morning and to see um, everything is fine here at the church, and uh, that, that things are okay in your home as well. So I wanted to pray for our brothers and sisters and for others uh, that uh, the MA disaster relief would be able to go and help people, and also that the Lord would give them divine appointments to be able to share the gospel in this, in this tragedy, and He will. Let's pray together. Father, we do come to You with heavy hearts, thinking about those in states that are not very far away, uh, that their lives have been changed forever because of this storm. And Lord, we know that all of these things are in Your hand. None of it was a surprise to You. But we cry out to you today for provision and for grace and mercy for people who lost their homes, men and women who lost their businesses, something that they put their their life into and their back into for many years and to drive up and to not even be able to find it anymore. Um, How heart-wrenching it must be. Lord, we do pray that you would um, send M&A disaster relief uh, folks there quickly, that they would be efficient in their work, that as they share meals and clean up homes and scrape away mud and try to help people put pieces back together of their home or of their life. Lord, I pray that you would give them significant divine appointments, that hearts would be sensitive to the gospel because of this terrible situation. Lord, we pray for safety and for health, that you would take care of of places that are still standing, that looting would be very limited, Lord, and that people would have their hearts turned towards one another and think about others. Lord, we do pray for people in in Georgia and even in our own state in South Carolina who are still without power and who are wondering when help is coming. Lord, we pray for those who are fearful, who are afraid, who have lost loved ones, and those who don't know how they're going to be able to put uh, food on the table next week. Lord, we pray for your grace and your mercy, and we, we do praise you for the safety and protection that we have here, but we ache in our hearts for those who are suffering today. Lord, we do pray also for those first responders who are still working now and have been working tirelessly since the storm relented. We pray for those who are in other states, but we also pray, Lord, for our own first responders here who are working here or maybe giving mutual aid or who are just responding to normal everyday things here. It's so easy to take our EMS and firefighters and electricians and others for granted because things always work. And Lord, we just pray that you would fill them with grace and strength and mercy to be able to to continue to do the work that you've called them to do. Lord, I do pray for those in our church family who are struggling under a weight because of sickness or illness. 
taking care of loved ones, or just difficulties in the day-to-day life that we live. Lord, I pray for Your grace to be poured out in our lives, that we would have a sense of Your presence and Your closeness to us. There is not a need that we have that You do not know. And we cry out to You as the God who supplies everything to us richly, that You would take care of us. Lord, we pray that You would have mercy upon us, meet our needs, help us spiritually and emotionally, mentally and spiritually, that we would be whole by Your grace. In Jesus' name, Amen.
I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 23. Psalm 23. We're going to be reading this morning verses 1 and 2. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we are continuing in our new series that we began last week entitled The Good Shepherd, studying Psalm 23. The sermon today is entitled, I Shall Not Want. Last Sunday we looked closely at the phrase in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. And we asked the question, who is he? What does he do? And why does it matter today? Why look at these things and why study them? There's something that we see in these verses, even in the pronouns that are used, that a relationship with the shepherd, the good shepherd, is a prerequisite for the blessings that David relishes in these verses. And whether we acknowledge it or not, each of us, in our own way, are seeking to have these blessings in our lives. Everyone does this, regardless of whether you say you believe in God or not, whether you trust in Him or not, you are seeking These things that David spoke about here. And it might not be surprising to you to know that the enemy, our enemy, offers counterfeits and shortcuts to the rest and peace and contentment that only the Lord Jesus, the Good Shepherd, can give. And we pray that this morning the Holy Spirit would guide our hearts into the truth that we would know Him and recognize His ways. And that He would shed light in our hearts on the lies and the self-deceptions that we believe. The things that we take into ourselves that are not from Him and that we struggle with on top of struggling with our sin. And I want to begin this morning by asking you, what is your spiritual condition this morning? Is your heart full? Are you rejoicing in the goodness and faithfulness of God that you have seen over this last week? And His care and concern for you? Or are you tired and worn out if you're honest? Do you feel empty and just really soul weary? Not just tired in your bones, but tired in your soul. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. All of us are seeking it. Whether we acknowledge it or not, you are seeking it day in and day out in your life. You want rest and contentment and peace. And what David is saying here, what he testifies to is that the Lord has guided him in those ways. And they are blessings from His hand that He has enjoyed. As we look at these verses this morning, number one, I want to talk about belonging to the shepherd. Number two, the shepherd's gifts. And lastly, how could we possibly be satisfied in this? So number one, belonging to the shepherd. And I want to quote and read to you from John chapter 10, verses 2 through 4. They say, but he who enters... By the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls 
his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Belonging to the shepherd at least means two things in this passage, in these verses that we're reading in Psalm 23. Number one, belonging to the shepherd means hearing his voice. Being able to tell when it's him calling and not some hireling who wants to grab your attention and distract you from your good shepherd. I'm not talking about something mystical or trance-like, but just ask simply, where do we hear the voice of the shepherd? Where does the good shepherd speak to his sheep, to his people? Clearly, he speaks to us through the ordinary means of grace by his word. If you want to know what the shepherd says to the sheep, read the scriptures. See Jesus in the scriptures. See and hear him calling. Recognize his voice. He is saying your name. Those words that I read from Matthew chapter 11 this morning. He is saying to you, come to me. Don't run away. Come to me and I will give you rest. Not come and buy it. Come and I will give it to you as a gift. As my child. Belonging to the shepherd not only means hearing his voice, but also being led. Sheep don't lead, they follow. What does following the shepherd look like? What does it look like for the shepherd to lead you? If you want to know, is this God leading me to do this in my life? Is this an area he wants me to walk in? Is this a path to walk down, a decision to make? Is this an area He wants me to serve or to use my gifts? Then you can at least test it by a few things. Number one, does it agree with His Word? Are there passages of Scripture that you can hang your hat on and say, this is how He leads, this is true to His character and who He is? Does it glorify Jesus? Does it truly lift Him up? And does it offer lasting peace? Because if it doesn't pass those tests, then as a child of God, you should be very careful to walk down that path. Because we are saying that the sheep follow the shepherd. So if you are to be following him, you have to obey his word. What does following require? And we could probably all list some qualities. I wrote down a few that I think we could probably agree on. That following requires that you have humility, that you are a teachable person, And that you have the capacity to trust the one who says you should be following them. And I think we all agree on those. But one of the plain things in the scriptures is that sheep follow a shepherd who calls them. But not just any sheep. Not just any sheep. You can have humility or you can try to manufacture it. You can manufacture teachableness or even trust. But only those people who have been given new life follow the shepherd. Only those who are no longer dead can follow the call of the shepherd. In order to follow him, you must belong to him. I want to quote just a a brief passage. It says, The person who does not have the Lord as his or her own shepherd may seek and obtain everything cataloged by the wise of this earth and still be a poor creature. Sooner or later, worldly people discover that they have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. If you do not have the good shepherd as your shepherd who is leading you, 
then you will wind around and go to every stop along the way trying to find something to follow, something to guide. It is something in each of us. We want to be led. We want to be led by our Heavenly Father. So number one, belonging to the shepherd. Number two, the shepherd's gifts. And I want to point out two from this passage. And the first gift, and it may not be so obvious, is that we get the shepherd himself. Those who belong to the shepherd get the shepherd himself. It might not be obvious in these verses that we're reading, and perhaps it's easily overlooked or even worse, taken for granted. Well, God's just with me all the time. He's just there whenever I need Him. I can ask for help. Most of the time I get by okay. I'm a pretty decent fellow or a pretty decent gal after all. But when I need Him, He's there. But the sheep look to the shepherd. They wait for Him. They go after He goes. One of the most comforting passages in Scripture that we're reading is Psalm 23 because it's telling us that the same shepherd who takes care of His sheep today will be the one who looks after them tomorrow. I want to read a passage to you from Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel chapter 34. This is a promise that God made through the prophet speaking about His own caring for His people. This is God speaking. Ezekiel 34 beginning in verse 14. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. This is a promise from God, that He will be the one who shepherds His people. He will take care of them and provide for them. He will give them pleasant places to live. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, as we think about the same shepherd who takes care of us today will be the one who cares for us tomorrow. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is that a comfort to you, dear one? That when you woke up this morning, the same God who cared for your soul, who shepherded you yesterday and guided your heart, is the one who woke you up and put breath in your body this morning. And He walks with you today. What are the gifts that the shepherd gives? He gives himself. But secondly, it says here in verse 2 that he gives green pastures and still waters. And in some translations, the still waters is peaceful. And it speaks to rest. What the psalmist is saying here, David is saying that he, the good shepherd, is sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over my family. He's sovereign over where I live. He's sovereign over my church family. And He's sovereign over my community. We see God's grace here because it is the active agency of the shepherd who is working to seek out an environment where the sheep will thrive. Do you believe that it's an accident or just because of your good efforts that you live where you do? That your family is where they are in in their time in life with success and joy? Or do you crumble under the weight of believing that everything that's happening to you that's bad is because of the history of your bad choices? Or do you believe that your sovereign Heavenly Father is the one who is guiding all of these things for His glory? One of the blessings of the shepherd is that He's aware. 
That's why David chose this image. The Lord is my shepherd. He could have said the Lord is king. Or the Lord is ruler. Or the Lord is the preeminent lawgiver. But he said the Lord is my shepherd. Because the shepherd lives with and is among the sheep. He's aware. He knows that when one pasture gives out, another will be found. When one well dries up, he knows another will be opened because he's going to go and do it for them. When he says that he's going to go and lie down in green pastures, he's talking about true nourishment and safety and security because it is the shepherd who's providing it. Jesus told a crowd of people by the Sea of Galilee who he had met and saw with his own eyes their physical hunger. And he said to them in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. He also said that he would go beside, the shepherd would take him beside the peaceful waters, the still waters. This is the ideal place to quench your thirst. It is peaceful and it speaks to true rest for your soul. In the book of Numbers, it says that every time the ark moved, in Numbers chapter 10, it says that the ark was moving and it was going to go to a place where it would give God's people rest. God had in His mind that He would give His people rest because He loved them. He, he knows the inclinations of our hearts. He knows that we're busy about everything and sometimes not praying about anything and we just get ourselves worked up and we're in a frenzy and we don't know which way to turn. And there He is, the Good Shepherd, leading us, guiding us, showing us which way to go. Here, stop, rest. You cannot figure it all out today. You were never meant to. It is not your task to do it. Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again forever. Jesus promised Himself, not only am I the Good Shepherd, but I am the nourishment that provides for your soul. I want to share a brief quote with you about this passage and about what it means to receive the gifts and the blessings of the Lord. It's easy to compare. It's easy to look at my pasture and my still waters and look at yours and say, well, the grass sure is greener over there. Or the waters sure seem to be a lot less choppy on their side of the fence than they do on mine. Life is difficult here on my address, on my part of the street. And you begin to wonder, what is it that God is providing? What is it that He's teaching me? Alexander McLaren writes this about God's blessings. It is not mainly of the outward blessings that the psalmist is thinking. He's not simply talking about the things that we must have to, to live. He's not just talking about food and a house and drink or water. He wrote, I shall not want. He's speaking of outward blessings that are primarily and chiefly emblems of the better spiritual gifts that God gives to each of His children. And it's not an accommodation of His words. He's not making an excuse for God. But it is the appreciation of the truest spirit when we look upon the things that God has given us as an instinct of our devout hearts as we have ever done and say, as expressing both God's gifts of temporal mercies and His gift of spiritual food and good, of which higher gift all the lower are meant to be symbolic. What he's saying is that these things that we have that might be temporal now are nothing but a, a pointer, 
a thing to point to the goodness and the glory of God and His provision for each of us. The things that you have, they may pass through your hands tomorrow. You may not have them anymore. They were meant not to be what you sustained your life on, but they were meant to point you to the One who sustains you for eternity. The Good Shepherd who guides your soul. He's not interested just in your happiness here. He is interested in your happiness in Him forever. You cannot be satisfied here completely if you were meant for another home. That's what the psalmist is saying here. So lastly, I want to ask and answer this question. What is David saying in verse 1 when he says, I shall not want? How is it possible to be satisfied with green pastures and still peaceful waters? This is almost outrageous to say. How can he make such an unqualified statement like this? I shall not want. He doesn't say, I I shall not want for food, or I shall not want for a home, or I shall not want for a church family. He says, I shall not want. How is that possible? And he's not talking about apathetic complacency either. Someone who has been so jaded or the edges have been rounded off so much in life because of disappointment and heartache and said, I don't want anything. I don't need anything. My expectations have been lowered so much that I don't expect anything of anybody or anyone. And that way my expectations can't be unmet. That's not what David is saying here. I think he's saying two things. At least two things and probably more. What David is saying, that by the shepherd's good transforming grace in his life, I now have a taste for what he, the good shepherd, has provided for me. What a gift. That the grace of the good shepherd would work in his heart, that he would say, I actually want the things that he gives. He is saying, according to John Newton, that all shall work together for good for me. Everything is needful that He, the Good Shepherd, sends my way along the path of life. Nothing can be needful that He withholds from me. Let me read those words again. All shall work together for good. Think Romans. Everything is needful that He sends. Everything. If you've ever worked in the the mail industry, you know sometimes packages get delivered where they weren't supposed to go. You receive something that was meant for a neighbor, maybe. That doesn't happen with God. What He brings to your doorstep, He meant to bring for your good, for His glory. Nothing can be needful that He withholds. That means that if I don't have it, it's not meant for me. Because it's not needful for me. And He's making that decision. And this is one of the pivotal things that I was talking about. Belonging to the shepherd. I have to follow Him. And if He doesn't send this into my life, I have to say with hands open, with my life, with my children, with my finances, with my career, whatever it is, Lord, You didn't bring this. So I must not need it. I'm following You. I don't understand, but I'm following You. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. I believe David would agree with what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory. By Christ Jesus. There is nothing that you need that your heavenly Father won't give you. And secondly, what does David mean? How is it possible to be satisfied in these things? By the power of the Spirit of God, he preaches this to his soul. It's not a pep talk, it's not a self help, 
It's not a, a thing that he does to work up his heart. This is the power of the Spirit of God enabling him to preach these words to his soul. I shall not want. Whether it's anxiety or dealing with sin or the melancholy that comes with time or self-pity because I don't have what I want or fear because everything is happening around me and I wonder when it's going to hit me next. He is saying, I preach this gospel to my soul. There are times in the believer's life when what he or she feels or even desires does not line up with their theology. There are times when you want things, dear child of God, and they are not for you. This is not abnormal. It's a symbol of the frailty of our hearts and a call from the good shepherd who says to come and abide with me. Do you hear that call? Do you recognize His voice? Do you hear Him calling you to Himself and saying, you can say along with David, I shall not want. David is saying this in the midst of having other competing desires. I believe that is absolutely true. He is training his heart with these words. But he is also making it a statement of faith. And I want to finish with a quote from Martin Luther. The prophet David was not always happy, nor was he at all times able to sing, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. At times he wanted much, almost too much. He would feel neither justice nor God's comfort and help, but only sin, God's wrath, terror, doubt, and the fear of hell, as he laments in many of the Psalms. Nevertheless, he abandons his feelings and holds God to his promise of a coming Messiah, and thinks, be it with me as it may, this is still the comfort of my heart, that I have a gracious, merciful Lord, who is my shepherd, whose word and promise strengthen and comfort me. Therefore, I shall not want. Do you know that kind of peace, dear son or daughter of the living God? Do you know that kind of peace that in the midst of the storm of your own heart, He says to you, come to me and rest. Rest even from your worrying, dear child. I do have everything under control. And nothing is coming to your doorstep today that I did not bring to conform you to the image of Christ. May we say in our hearts, and may we preach it to our hearts, I shall not want because He has provided everything that I need. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. We thank You that in it we are instructed. And even though there are times that our desires are strong and great, things that we think will satisfy us, things that we think will will be what it finally is that will, will push us over the edge, Lord, we confess and bring these things to You, that our desires even are sometimes too strong for us, and we cry out to You for mercy and grace to depend on You. Lord, we pray that You would help us in in our need, in the moment, to trust You, to believe that You are good, and that as You are leading us in the path of life, that we would trust You and follow, and find in You the identity that You give us. You say that we belong to You. Lord, help us to rest in that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 87, The Lord's My Shepherd, I'll Not Want.
seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. thank you for the ways that you have blessed each of our families and we dedicate now our tithes and our offerings for your glory that they would go and accomplish all that you desire them to. We pray Lord that you would use our obedience in this, even in this small way uh, that the gospel might be spread that people who do not know the name of Jesus would hear it because of this act of obedience and Lord we look to you to continue to provide for our needs financially for each of us in our families We thank you and we praise you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. benediction of our Lord. Now the eternal God who is your refuge be a rock that is beneath you, the tower that is around you, the shelter that is above you this day and all the days until Jesus comes. Amen.